This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. And welcome back to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. I'm really pleased that you're here and I think that this episode is going to be really, really valuable. So I had a chat with Melissa late last year, so late 2019. So of course, we don't mention COVID at all because we didn't know that it was on the horizon, but it is a fantastic story. I think that Um, We can all learn at no matter what stage of career we are at. We can all learn from Melissa's experiences and I guess the aha moments that she shares with us in this episode, particularly around being really proactive about self-care, but also uh, sort of some hard decisions that sometimes have to have to be made and and some um, reflections that are good to do about our own personalities and tendencies so that we can actually be more effective at self-care and also at work, right? So I will get to the episode in a minute, but I have a couple of updates and reminders for you. If you are listening to this when it goes to air, so in late May, um, or if you're listening in early June 2020, I am crowdfunding at the moment uh, because podcasts are free to listen to, but they are not free to make. So season six is obviously happening anyway, um, but Depending how much uh, we raise with the crowdfunding, uh, that will determine whether we do, you know, how long the season is and whether we do season seven this year. So really, uh, really, really would like your help with that. I have shared more details about this in previous, um, the last couple of episodes. So you can go back and listen to those and and you can read all about it on the crowdfunding campaign page at possible.com. So I will put the full link in the description of this episode. Um, But if you go to posible.com, that's P-O-Z-I-B-L-E.com and search teacher wellbeing in the search bar, you will see the different ways that you can support the show um, and you can pledge as little as $5, uh, but there are some different rewards for different amounts. So I do want you to know that every little bit helps. So the way crowdfunding works, it's all or nothing. If we don't reach the goal amount, which this year is $2,500 because I do want it to cover two seasons, then nobody pays anything. So please go over and pledge today. And if you're not driving at the moment, as you listen to this, I would love it if you would pause what you're doing and pause the show, click on the link in the description and go and pledge right this minute before you forget. I would so appreciate that. And I really look forward to keeping this show on air this year and in years to come. A couple more updates before you uh, get to hear this fantastic interview with Melissa. Uh, The biannual Teacher Health and Wellbeing Survey will open again in June 2020. So uh, you may remember I shared the results of the 2018 survey on the podcast in season four. I will put a link to that in the show notes, but I just wanted to let you know that that's coming up again, and I hope to be able to provide some really good data about the status of teachers' health and wellbeing in Australia um, at the moment. Now, it is only open to teachers teaching in Australia this year. So just uh, keep that in mind if you are teaching elsewhere, listening from international places, which I know there are a few of you. Hello. Um, But I would love for you to be involved if you are teaching in Australia this year. So um, stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, I'll keep you posted. 
Also, back at the start of 2020, I ran a free five-day workshop series on teacher well-being and resilience that was really well received. And I've had a lot of requests for replays and I was planning to have it in the um, freebies library by now. But as I'm sure you can understand, 2020 hasn't quite gone to plan. So what it means is I am actually holding a replay week of those workshops starting on June 29th. So check out the Facebook event for that. I will put a link in the description of this episode and in the show notes on the website because they will be broadcast for free in that Facebook uh, event starting on June 29th. So head to facebook.com forward slash self-care for teachers and you can sign up for that. It's going to be a cracking event. And speaking of events, I've also been running a series of masterclasses with my husband, Stuart, who is a clinical exercise physiologist. And we have been focusing on the topic of fatigue resilience. So we've run a couple of these workshops so far or masterclasses so far about two different aspects of managing and mitigating fatigue. And there's another one coming up on the 30th of May about stress um, and how that impacts fatigue and what we can do about it. And the next one after that is um, about sleep, which will be on the 27th of June. So they are virtual masterclasses. They'll be held via Zoom, jam-packed with info and research and practical applications. Um, So you can grab tickets uh, via Eventbrite and I will pop a link in the description to this episode as well. And again, you can find it in the events section of the Self-Care for Teachers Facebook page. And if you missed the first two, you can actually get the replays as rewards as part of the gold or platinum supporter level of the crowdfund campaign. So again, a little reminder to head over to possible.com and search teacher wellbeing to support the podcast there because podcasts are free to listen to, but they are not free to make. All right. That's enough from me. Here is this fantastic story with Melissa. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Oh, hi, Ellen. Good. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. Let's start. As you know, we always dive into a little bit about your background. So tell us about your background and your teaching context. So at the moment, I'm teaching in a um, primary school as a special ed teacher Uh, But the first 18 years of my teaching career, I was in a high school and I started off as a, you know, senior economics English teacher. And then I decided that I was really interested in special education and supporting students who had extra learning challenges. So I did my master's and um, yeah, very shortly after started teaching in special education. A big shift from that first early part of your career, I imagine. Yeah, and I think it was just some mentors said to me, you know, probably after I'd been teaching in special ed for about five or six years, you know, we cannot imagine that you would teach anything else. And, you know, I was the same. It it was really something that happened even in my first year of teaching that I just had that interest, that desire, you know, that feeling that kids who require extra support are the kids that I want to help and I want them to know that I expect them to be the best they can be and I will help them be the best they can be. Mm, Yeah. And then, so doing that further study, were you doing that while you were also still teaching or did you actually take a break from classroom work to to go and do the study or was on the side? It was on the side. It was actually, um, so, so, you know, not taking away little bits of maternity leave here and there, but I'm in my 25th, 26th year of teaching and I started teaching as a 22-year-old. And um, so actually I was teaching out West for my first 18 years of teaching. And in my second year of teaching, 
they actually offered some master's degrees where if you um, passed the course, they would reimburse your hex and they actually gave you a day, a fortnight to study and to participate in, you know, online learning and that type of thing. So that was a really great opportunity to, you had to make a commitment to stay out in, out in the rural area but I'd gotten married by that stage. It wasn't a problem for me at all to commit to that. So it was a really great opportunity for them, for the department to gain people that they wanted with the skills they wanted and for me to gain a qualification that I wanted. Yeah, mutually beneficial investment. Yeah. Mm. Well, so this is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. So we, we talk about health and wellbeing and um, challenges uh, related to health and wellbeing. So Can you share some of the um, health and wellbeing challenges that you've experienced throughout your career? And and 25 years is a good innings. Like, that, you know, that's really going to come with some ups and downs over that long. Absolutely. And I I think this year has probably been a big year of reflection for me. And one of the things I've reflected on this year is that even when I had very little children, I was feeling like... I've always put my work first and it kind of was a big bolt of lightning realisation because, you know, when I was working in a rural area, I had significant family support that allowed me to do that. I would be eight months pregnant and go on a school camp because there was a student with a disability who wanted to go, needed to go, and I would do that. I was doing a regional office job remotely and I would drop my kids off at their grandparents at six o'clock in the morning so I could travel to an eight o'clock meeting and when I think about it now this year being my big year of you know health and well-being reflection I think that is truly ridiculous unnecessary and you know it just wasn't something that I I I don't don't know I, I just I look back now and I think, why did I do that? How did I do that? But I was a lot younger then as well. Yeah. And we live and learn, right? And I think sometimes we do those things and then we look, it feels okay in the moment, but then we look back and we think, holy moly, it's only with the hindsight that we can see. But so what else have you been reflecting on this year in your health and wellbeing reflection year? So I guess I can, um, you know, notice during the times of having much younger children and and putting work first, that there certainly have been cycles in my career where I haven't looked after myself. And it's reflected in my interactions with people, my interactions with my family. You know, I haven't been the person that I necessarily would want to be in the workplace or at home. But I guess uh, ever since moving, transferring to a primary school and transferring to a, you know, more metropolitan, less rural area for me anyway, you know, I had a lot of life changes that have kind of culminated this year into me realising that it is my responsibility to put myself in a position where I'm looking after myself and it's not anyone else's responsibility to do that. So, you know, you would think that I would be a lot younger (laughs) coming to that realisation, but I guess maybe being a people pleaser, committed to my job, committed to the students I teach. I just hadn't seen the light early enough. Mm. 
Look, and you're not alone there. I mean, it's a big realisation and I think it's also something that the culture of schools often perpetuates because teaching does attract the giving, the carers, you know, the people who are the kind of people we want in the job who are going to be really caring about their students. But you're right, it is then when it, I suppose, we give away some of that responsibility for our own health and well-being that that can become problematic. But it also does sound like you had a significant amount of support in, you know, as you said, when you had young children and things. So perhaps if you didn't have that support, you certainly wouldn't have been able to continue that way. No, absolutely. And I guess that's kind of what, um, you know, my different life changes. So so my family, my husband and my three children, um, when my oldest daughter was going into high school, we moved, you know, from a very rural, relatively remote area to a more metropolitan area. And six months after we moved, my husband actually had a heart attack at work and died. So I had a three-year-old, a 10-year-old and and a just-turned 13-year-old. And I was at a new school. In a new area. A new context, a new town. No family support, and that's not to say both my family and my husband's family haven't been incredibly helpful and supportive in the way that they can be, but, you know, I I didn't have, you know, kids' grandparents across the road from the primary school that they could walk home to every afternoon while I stayed at work. So, you know, you go through then when something significant happens, whether it's something like that or, or another significant event in your life, and you kind of are in a blur for a little while and perhaps, you know, in terms of my health and well-being, I'm starting to come out of that blur and this year, you know, I kind of thought I got to a point where there had been so many deadlines, so much rushing, so much pushing that I kind of thought maybe now is when the nervous breakdown happens. Maybe that's what's happening to me right now. Maybe the penny has dropped and I really had told people at work, supervisors, you know, line managers, oh, you know, this is pushing me. I'm not sure that I'm all right. I think I'm going under the table. And they were very empathetic, but I I kind of came to the realisation, actually, they're not going going to do anything to help me, whether it was because they can't, they couldn't or, you know, whatever. They're not going to do anything this is my job now. I really need to take over and um, I need to put, I need to do something. Mm. And that's massive. You know, you were talking about the cycles in your, in your career and your life earlier and how things do sort of ebb and flow a bit. But then when we do have major life transitions and moving house just in and of itself is one, let alone that, that huge change in your family situation with the death of your husband, that's I think when the it sort of comes to crunch time and maybe that's when we can we can't go on the same way as we were anymore because phys- you literally can't right and I I'm glad to hear that your school was empathetic and I'd love to hear what what you do feel has changed this year for you then in terms of once you had that realization that all right this is my job now what did you do from there so I'd been, you know, listening to your podcast and as you do things, we all know that that Facebook kind of has this mind of its own and <laughs> popping up on my Facebook feed was a free course from a professor at Yale 
called The Science of Happiness. And it was a free, um, I think it was a 10-week course. And, I, and, you know, that really spoke to my, I don't know, love of learning. But also, you know, it seemed a little bit prestigious, a little bit fancy. Oh, here's an opportunity to work, you know, with someone who works at Yale. And um, that's a bit fancy. So I signed up for the course. And so that was the starting point, you know, between listening to your podcast and between doing that. And then I started doing the course and I kind of thought to myself, you know, again, like I really need to take responsibility for myself. And I actually had, you know, I'm heading towards 50. I had a few female health things cropping up that are just natural parts of aging as a as a woman. I had a little bit of a voice problem. I've got a little bit of a of a voice injury from, you know, my years of teaching. I've got a bit of a niggling shoulder injury that I just couldn't get rid of and I thought to myself, I need to put a full stop under under this. You know, if work can't do this for me, if they can't take the load off me, and it's great that they were empathetic, but the deadlines were still coming, you know, need this done, need this done, need this done. And I thought, well, you know what? I need to put a full stop under it. So I went to the doctor, had a chat. We decided, yep, I would take four weeks leave. I did. I was lucky I had four weeks leave to take. So I took four weeks leave. And I really thought to myself, I'm not going to go through the motions of doing this happiness course and of listening to your podcast. I'm actually going to take what is being said to me and I am going to practice it and do something with it so that I don't come out of this four weeks leave dreading going back to work and so that I actually change my behavior to make sure that I really am responsible for my own health. That's such an important insight, I think, because leave is great. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes there is just a place for, I just need some time out, right? I mean, that's that's what we all get in school holiday time. You know, it's, there's there's going to be a certain amount of just a few days on the couch, you know, <laughs> ignoring the world, watching whatever we're watching on, on the TV. And uh, there's a place for that. But also, if we keep doing what we've always done, we'll keep getting the result that we have landed ourselves in this place. So I love that you had that insight to say, well, I need to actually apply some of this that I'm learning. I need to be changing some things and so that I don't go back to exactly the same situation because there is so much within our own control and those deadlines and things, those are not within our control and it's so easy to get fixated on them and they are absolutely, they can be very problematic and they can be definitely impacting our well-being. But when we get fixated on something that we actually don't have control over, it can actually prevent us from seeing what we what we do have control over, where we can take some responsibility and make some changes. So that's such an important insight. And, you know, I don't think that, that my school was in any way um, performance punishing me. But if you're the type of person that always meets deadlines, then, you know, more deadlines will come your way. More responsibilities will come your way. And, um, you know, over the last couple of years, just to be able to balance being there for my children, I have worked at a part-time capacity 
but I've also taken on work that I can do at home with the university so that I can, you know, balance my income by doing a couple of different things. So deadlines are all well and good, but I felt like I was, you know, not being an adult and not saying, I can do this, but what am I going to stop doing? Because I can't do this as well as all the other things I'm being asked to do. And, and you know, I wasn't taking that adult responsibility. I was kind of, you know, maybe being a little bit of a martyr. You know, I don't know, maybe just being that people pleaser or that or that never breaks the rules kind of person. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll get it done by then. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, I'll get it done by then. Rather than, you know, even being an adult and saying, look, I'm going to be two days late on that one because it's just not happening at the moment. Yeah. And and I think it's something that actually that, that idea of flexible work, I was just talking to somebody about how, how can we in, in, incorporate more flexible work into the teaching role. I mean, you know, that's a wicked problem in and of itself, but that idea of flexible work is becoming a more, you know, it's in the zeitgeist at the moment. I think it's it's the way, part of the future of work more broadly. But I love that you said that, you you know, you had to kind of face up to, I've got some adult decisions to make here, but there's also an element of you don't know what you don't know. And even to the point where you don't always know that you're allowed to say, okay, I'm going to be absolutely on time with that deadline because I'm I'm a veteran in this system. I know that that's one that can't be missed. But this one over here, it's going to be two days late. And, and I know that that's not the end of the world. And you almost need a little bit of permission, but also just a bit of perspective to be able to know which of those deadlines you can actually push back a little bit on. And with good reason. It's not, you're doing, not doing it every time, as you said. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that a part of the system, the education system, you know, that we work on in, there's always been accountability. And I am, you know, extremely accountable to myself, as most teachers are. You know, we're very, very um, accountable to ourselves and constantly reflecting on how our students are going, what can we tweak in our pedagogy and all of that. But also, you know, we've we've been at school ourselves as students, we've been at university. If you're like me, you start teaching when you're straight out of school and straight out of university. You know, sometimes in the real world, adults are late and adults go to the toilet when they want to and adults. But if you've been part of a system you know, for your whole life or most of your life, uh, yeah, sometimes you just, you know, take for granted your own right to make decisions about your workload. Yeah, absolutely. I love that line, your own right to make decisions about your workload. And, and it's not an irresponsible kind of, oh, I'm not doing this at all kind of attitude. It's actually saying, in order to, for, for you to get the best out of me, education system, this is a tweak or this is how we need to flex it so that I actually can get this done and can, it can remain sustainable. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, just um, listening to things like your podcast and, and this course, The Science of Happiness, just made me think about so many tricks that my mind was playing on me. And it's been really interesting and I've continued um, listening to this Dr. Laurie Santos and her happiness podcast, as well as your previous podcasts that I kind of was catching up on as well. And, you know, the 
the tricks our mind plays on us about comparison and the tricks our mind plays on us about reference points. You know, we're comparing ourselves against a reference point that we just shouldn't be comparing ourselves against because it's not a, it's not a correct reference point. And I guess one of the big changes that I've made is I'd always heard and look and, you know, heard people do things like gratitude journals and that type of thing. And I just thought, oh, look, it's just not for me. It's just, you know, so wishy-washy. It's just not for me. But in this science of happiness kind of course that I did, there was an app that you could download where you could actually record when you'd made connections with people, when you'd exercised, when you'd practiced gratitude, when you'd meditated, when you'd practiced mindfulness. And just taking being aware and and accountable, I suppose it speaks to my little rule, loving rules, just being accountable for those self-care practices really started to, I started to have some shifts in my mindset and, you know, I had been exercising for a while, particularly after my husband died. I made sure that my kids and I all got into exercise because I really believe it's a game changer, you know, for your mental health. But things like connections and gratitude have really now, I've really seen the power in them on a daily basis for really helping your mindset and your attitude and really helping your well-being. Yeah. Yes, and I think the key there is about the incremental changes and shifts that happen from doing it on a daily basis. And I actually liken it to, you know, learning to read. If we just do a one-off, you know, like I think we often approach our mental health and even our physical health with this kind of, all right, we're going to boot camp it, we're going to do you know, six days straight or something. And then then it's so overwhelming that we don't do it again for the next, you know, six months or whatever. But you think about it, if we tried to teach kids to read that way, they wouldn't learn. We know that it's bite-sized uh, bits in the zone of proximal development, little by little and regularly. You know, we want parents to be reading to kids every night for 10 minutes rather than doing three hours on the weekend and then nothing again for the rest of the week. And I think it's the same with some of these that they need to become habits, but they also, it doesn't have to take an hour every day. It can be five or 10 minutes, just that every day. That's what actually over time creates the shift. And, and, you know, I certainly feel that even having the ability to remind ourselves that it may not make a difference for me today, but I'm going to do it because I know that it's in the doing it today and tomorrow and, you know, every day for the next two weeks, that's when I'm going to start to feel some kind of impact. Absolutely. And, you know, I see that with the exercise that I do and, you know, I had a, I had a year where I have this great group of ladies that I exercise with and we span across age groups and we've just become through the ups and downs of of each other's lives. We've just really been there for us, for each other, even though, you know, if we kind of met in different circumstances, you know, we would probably just be acquaintances. But I had a year at work where there were meetings scheduled very frequently, weekly, 
and sometimes twice weekly on the particular days that I met these ladies. And, you know, I wasn't meeting them at 3.15, so I wasn't rushing out my door to go there and leaving all my responsibilities, but meetings tend to drag on. And, you know, and I had someone say to me, oh, it's only your exercise that you've got to go to. And I thought to myself that very moment, do you know what? If I had to take a tablet for depression at 4.30 on those days, that person would not be saying that. I, you know, pulled myself up and I went, I'm sorry, but this is my tablet. I need to do this at this time. This is when I do it. And, uh, you know, and that's a priority in my life. And look, the same with my little, I've got this gratitude app now that I use and it's, I just have a little alert on my phone and it really just has been a game changer. And as you say, some days I actually can just find two things and I kind of give myself a pat on the back and say, it's okay to only find two things. But other days, look, I could be writing down five or six or seven or eight things that I'm grateful for. And I love on my little app, it says, I am so happy and grateful for as a sentence starter. And I just love that. I am so happy, you know, about this. And it's it, it really... You know, I'm not a um, kind of necessarily light-hearted person, but to have that I'm so happy and grateful for just really helps remind me that there is a lot that I should be happy and grateful about, whether it's a tiny little thing or a really huge thing. And another really, you know, amazing thing that I got from you that I've used And I'm reading a Gretchen Rubin book at the moment, The Happiness Project, and I'm keen to have a little bit more look at the end of her book when I get to it as well. But you kind of wrote your self-care acrostic poem and I have written myself, yes, after I kind of heard that episode and, you know, I was doing a few things, I kind of thought, yep, that's great. And I've so I've made my own little self-care acrostic poem and I um, have it where I just have my jewellery and my watch. And so every morning I can just glance at it and just reminding myself of the, you know, the energy that I want to take into the day. Mm, oh, that's so good. And I'm so glad that my podcast has helped with that journey for you. But, you know, you've been the one that's actually gone and taken those suggestions and ideas and actually applied them. So I really do want to acknowledge that, Melissa, because I think that it can be very easy to hear things and think that's a good idea, but doing them is another thing, especially when, you know, there's enough to do on our plates. But it, but I, I just really also want to commend you for really prioritizing and making a point publicly with with the particular people that this meeting was happening with to say, no, 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 this is important. And to, I think especially for anyone who has people-pleasing tendencies, and I do as well, and that is so hard, but the shift I think comes when we can see actually how short-term, it's a false economy to think, well, no, no, stay for this meeting and skip your exercise because getting the work done today is more important than the exercise today. But it's actually a false economy and because in skipping the exercise, you're actually taking away from the ability to do some, have the energy to do things in the future. 
And I actually think that for me, at least, it's been very helpful in if I have to say no in a situation like that. I have to be so grounded in my understanding of why I'm saying no. What am I saying yes to instead? And, and why is it actually more important than this other thing that I'm saying no to? And often it's because, well, we both have the same goal. You know, we both want to be the best teachers we can be, or we both want to be being here for our students in the best way we can. And actually, I know that I can't show up for that goal if I've skipped my self-care, whatever the habit is, whether it's meditation or, or, or sleep or exercise or all of the above, you know. But I really want to commend you on giving that feedback to people that like, actually, no, this is crucial to my health and my ability to be here and do this job, let alone, you know, live a life that's full of meaning and, and hopefully happiness and joy. And I guess it's just a couple of key things So, you know, it's like full circle back to my original reflection that I am responsible for this. If I hand over responsibility for my well-being to other people and I run my life according to my workplace's timetable, I'm not being responsible for myself. I'm letting other people choose whether I undertake these self-care things as well. And then again, the, the reflection circles around to, you know, yes, there are there's the majority of my life that I've put my work first and that has to come to an end because I don't have a backup person that can show my kids that they're number one. I am the person that has to show that now. And whether you have a partner or whether you don't have a partner, it's the same. If you're a a parent or even the people in your lives that you love that aren't your children, you're the one that shows them that they're number one to you. You can't rely on someone else to do that. So if you think that your work is the number one thing in your life and you let your work take responsibility for your health care, well, then you're sitting like me at one point going, hmm, maybe now's the day I have my nervous breakdown. And even that thought, and I really wasn't having a nervous breakdown, but even that thought just makes me think, I don't need to have a nervous breakdown to give myself permission to stop. I can just stop whenever I want because I'm allowed to. Exactly. Exactly. And one of my, I suppose, one one of the missions of self-care for teachers is to hopefully actually share this permission message and to hopefully for people to come and share the challenges that they've experienced. But, you know, I would hope that people don't need to lose their husband and end up being the the sole carer for the children to, you know, anyone else that's listening to say, actually, I can still make this choice. I don't have to go through that. I can learn from Melissa's story as well. And, and my story with my health journey as well. It's like, we can learn from each other. We don't have to, as you say, we don't have to have the nervous breakdown to give ourselves permission. We can actually just choose today. And it doesn't have to mean massive changes. It doesn't have to mean totally being a, a disruptive, difficult staff member, you know, it can actually be about saying, well, okay, these are the things I'm going to just carry on doing because those are the things that I believe are the priorities or that I see are absolutely non-negotiables or whatever. But actually, these are the things where, no, I'm going to push back on that school request because it, it actually doesn't have to happen at that time of the day or it doesn't have to happen by that particular week of term, I can actually be a bit flexy there or request some flex time there for the sake of doing a good job and also for the sake of staying a a sane, happy, healthy human. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, I I think myself, 
I'm more of a disruptive staff member or a disgruntled staff member if I'm not doing, you know, the self-care practices. And you're so right that, you know, and I do kind of give myself a little pat on the back for this as well, but you can listen to some truly inspirational people and your podcast is definitely such a valuable resource. But unless you take the responsibility to take the action, it's like anything that we're asking our kids to learn. Unless they get that repeated practice, distributed practice, consolidation, unless you actually do something, even when it's a little bit out of your comfort zone, you just start and you do it, you know, you probably will always cycle back into those, into those um, you know, unhealthy practices. And, and that's what I see, you know, that I guess that's why this year might be a big light bulb year for me in that even previously my early teaching career when I would kind of do exercise and and go and do something that I enjoy and connect people with that way, I would soon get out of the habit of that and get back into work as the priority mode. But I, I really have learned a lot this year and I feel like I'm just not willing to do that anymore. I have to keep going with doing the things that I know help me just be a better friend, person, mother, daughter, anything. And I'm still not wonderful. <laughs> no, well, none of us are perfect, right? And and I, I do also think that, you know, there are going to be times in life where stuff happens and we do fall off our, our practices, and but then we just we can just get back on. Like, as you said, we just start, just start. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Just start and do the small things and hopefully listening to inspirational messages and stories of people who've had success with you know, well-being practices, it can plant the seeds and then we just start and take one step at a time and then if life throws up challenges or if we just end up starting to go back into those habits of agreeing to everything at work and, and just letting our life kind of come second to work, we can just start again. We just start again. And I think it's one of those tricks that our minds plays on us as well, that we can really beat ourselves up if we've stopped a practice, but we can just start again. And I've heard somebody talking about reframing for people who are like quitting smoking and stuff and like they maybe quit for three months, but then they started again and then they were smoking for three months again. And then the next time they quit for five months, but then they went back to smoking again. And instead of actually saying, oh, well, I've, I've ruined it, you know, I can't quit, actually say, well, no, each time you quit for a little longer. So there's progress there. So we just start again. And rather than playing those mental tricks on us that it has to be all or nothing, but we just start, as you said, and then we can just start again if we need to. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been so, I think, so valuable. Thank you, Melissa, for sharing your story. I'm going to ask, what are your top tips? I mean, you've shared a number here and, and, I, and I love the idea of the gratitude app and also the, I think, the accountability of having a group to go to, you know, people to go and meet to exercise with when you, you know, when you are faced with a decision at work of will I go or will I stay because I could stay for this meeting or whatever. No, I've got people who are waiting for me. I think that makes it easier as well. Any other top tips for particularly early career teachers, but I think increasingly this podcast is becoming just for all teachers to keep themselves on the top of the priority list and set themselves up for a thriving career and life. Yeah. Well, I, I guess exercise is one of my key top tips. It really is, you know, for the longevity of your career, your life, it's, you know, you're a great role model to people. If you need to help a kid through the cross country by running next to them, if you've got a bit of exercise under your belt, you can do it, you know, and, and so that's one of my top tips. 
But I guess what I've also really learned along with the gratitude is to really give myself that gratitude. And especially as a beginning teacher, you will have days where the strategies you wanted to use, the pedagogy you wanted to use, they really didn't turn out the way you wanted them to turn out. But if you kind of know that at the end of the day, you're going to be finding things to give yourself a pat on the back for and being grateful to yourself, then that kind of infuses your mind when you're, when you're feeling a little bit frustrated or that kind of thing. So that's another thing that I was doing is I had a little calendar next to my bed and each day I would write down three things that I thought I did well or I could praise myself about during the day. And for me, sometimes that focus was on, on my mothering and really like trying to do family things a lot better than what I felt I had been. But sometimes it was to do with school. You know, you handled the student who was really having a bad day. You handled them with compassion. Good on you. You did that. Well done. Not like, oh, we didn't get the English assessment finished. Oh, you know, I've got three days to get these reading tests done and I'm not going to get it done and that type of thing. But because in the end, in two months, three months, five years' time, it doesn't matter to it student whether you got the reading test done or not it actually matters that you took the time to meet them where they're at understand not put pressure on people when they didn't need pressure being put on them you know so just really finding things to praise about what you have done speaking kindly to yourself every day has been a really good tip for me that I think that especially teachers should try and reflect on at the end of each day or even at the end of each lesson. Yeah. And I love that, especially in early career, because I think that the more you teach, the more you realize, oh, some lessons just do not go to plan. And that's not a reflection necessarily on my abilities or my worth as a person. It's just like some days things don't work. (laughs) But when you're in your early career, it is so much easier to make that mean that we are hopeless and we can never do it. And we, you know, all those other negative Uh, thoughts come through. So I love that tip for even, but especially on the the bad days to find something that we did well. Oh, you know, I didn't give up. I I kept trying with that student or I, I tried to be flexible and give another positive encouragement strategy or things like that. We can just, we can actually find something in every day that we have done well especially on the bad days, that's the time it's hardest, but it's, I think the time it's, it's most necessary. But it's also much easier to do on the bad days if we've been doing it on the good days and we're building that muscle of being able to congratulate ourselves and able to acknowledge ourselves and, and recognize ourselves. Because I think that is something that is actually also a, a muscle that we need to build. It's not something that we're, especially in Australia, you know, it's like you don't want to be up yourself. You don't have tickets on yourself. But actually, we need to do that in order to be able to be there and kind for ourselves on the bad days as well. Absolutely. Building that gratitude muscle and that self-love or self-praise or, you know, you're enough today and you'll be enough tomorrow. And when you learn more, you'll do things differently, but you're still enough where you are right now. I think building those muscles in the mind and not setting out, you know, if you're a a teacher in your fifth year, you can't be comparing yourself to a teacher in their 25th year because it's all so different. Their experiences when they were in their fifth year, well, I mean, you know, I don't look like an old, old person, but 
when I started teaching, we just got a computer with a very big floppy disk in the school and there was one computer in the school. So, yeah, experiences are very different. (laughs) Yes, and I think it works in reverse too. You know, if you are a person however many years you've been teaching, but in those sort of later decades, don't compare yourself to a 22-year-old that has loads of energy and doesn't have three children at home. You know, it's just a different life stage. Yep, that's an absolutely. And, you know, that's all about those reference points. Don't choose a reference point to compare yourself that is unattainable or inappropriate because you're not going to head towards gratitude and self-care if you choose the wrong reference points. Yep, absolutely. And I I think it's a beautiful place to wrap up to that message of you are enough already. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You don't have to be perfect to earn it. You are enough already and you will be enough tomorrow and already and always you are enough. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Melissa. This has been wonderful. Thanks. Yeah, it's been great. It's been great to chat. Oh, what a powerful story. I really, really, really loved uh, hearing from Melissa about how she took back control and power and responsibility for her own health and well-being and she stopped, uh, I suppose, waiting for somebody else to do that for her and she really realised how important it was and how no one else was going to do it for her and she stepped up and it's made a difference for her. And I'm really wanting to, I suppose, hit home that point for all of you listening today that you know, take action. It, just take one thing that you heard from this episode today. As Melissa said, like just the learning and, and getting inspired is lovely, but actually it's when you take action on the things that you hear and apply them in your life that things start to change. So what is one thing that you could take action on uh, from this episode? I'd love to hear your takeaways, share it on social media, Tag me at Self-Care for Teachers and especially I'd love it if you could share this episode with one teaching colleague who you think would really, really benefit from it. And I also really love the point that Melissa made that, you know, with time and, and with um, with reflection, we can start to figure out like what actually matters at work and what which are the deadlines that are absolutely cannot be moved and what are the things that we can push back on a little bit. And I just think obviously this was recorded before COVID, but how much has COVID reminded all of us and and demonstrated to all of us that some stuff, when it really matters, we can get rid of the stuff that that doesn't matter. Now, that's not to say we don't want things to go back to a more in-person situation in our classrooms when everybody's safe and well and it's, it's okay to do so. But just to keep in mind, like, what actually matters and what do we want in the new normal? I think Melissa made a point about there being some life, massive life changes for her that it was like, I can't go back to how it was before. I just can't. You know, you can't unsee what you've seen. You can't unknow what you've known. And I, I really think that COVID can be that for so many of us around. I, I can't go back to that old way of operating or I just don't want to, right? It wasn't okay before. And what can I change going forward? So what can I apply going forward or what am I just going to let go and leave in before COVID life? So yeah, that's something I'd love to also hear from you. And remember, you can leave a voicemail with your questions or comments. Um, the link to the that will be in the description of this episode. Um, and remember that I'm crowdfunding. So I just want to give a final shout out and ask you to take some action from this episode. Pledge your support for the Possible Crowdfunder campaign for the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast today, right now. Do it now before you forget. The link is in the description. And I would so appreciate it if you could do that and uh, and also share 
the link with your teaching colleagues because podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. And uh, with your support, I'm really looking forward to finishing season six and being able to follow it up with the seventh season later in 2020. So thank you in advance for your support of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. And as always, remember that you are a person first and a teacher second, and you are worthy of your own care. And I hope that you can continue to look after yourself wholeheartedly this year and be a beacon of inspiration to others and an example to encourage your colleagues to do the same. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher wellbeing and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second and you are worthy of your own care.